This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 103. Today, our special guest is Beth Monson. We talk with Beth about normalizing feedback and her book, Mastering Feedback, Everything You've Never Been Told About How to Give Feedback. Stay tuned. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking the missing logic in healthcare to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. It's Michelle. And Tracy. And here we are. Little pause there, Tracy. Well, I'm deep in thought. We had just such a wonderful interview. I was kind of like just thinking. <laughs> She'll do that to you, won't she? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the kind of uh, people we want, right? Like we want individuals on our podcast that invoke us to think differently and deeper and help us grow and evolve. Not yeah. just our listeners, us too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we had a great interview with uh, Beth Watson, who's the CEO and founder of Navigating Challenging Dialogue, and we had a great dialogue with her, wouldn't you say? I would say so. It was really a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. She's a cringed spirit. Yeah, she sure is. She sure is. So um, let us tell you a little bit about Beth and her work, and then we will turn it over to the interview so you can also be part of this great conversation. Uh, Since 2015, Beth Watson um, has been the CEO and founder of Navigating Challenging Dialogue, and she's coached hundreds of C-suite professionals in Fortune 500s and the nonprofit sector. And clients learn to end miscommunication, mishaps, chaos, and costly conflicts. In turn, they create a culture that fosters greater employee satisfaction, retention, and performance. Grounded in proven methods of self-management, best proprietary process, navigating challenging dialogue, guides leaders to communicate directly and effectively while strengthening their company's fundamentals. The mission of Beth Watson and company is to bring navigating challenging dialogue to everyone who wants to have meaningful, drama-free dialogue. They provide leadership coaching, consulting, and training rooted in the NCD process so that their clients are able to stop wasting valuable resources through miscommunication, unhealthy conflict, and unnecessary drama. So without further ado, here's our interview with Beth Watson. 
Well, welcome, Beth. We're so excited to have you on our podcast today. And this is the first time, Beth, that we've had a guest that um, has lived on both coasts in the United States, the East Coast and the West Coast. And we thought we could start our podcast interview with you today with you sharing what's the best of both, Beth. We want to know. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here and to share this topic with your listeners. I think for me, um, it's changed over the years. So I originally came to California for the weather. Um, I love the spring, summer, and part of the autumn in Massachusetts, but I love having summer all winter in California. But now it's changed. In California, I have my horse and I have my community here. And I love that. I love the mountains and the rivers and the ocean. But in Massachusetts, I have five little grandbabies under the age of five. And so uh, that really keeps me connected to Massachusetts more than anything. Oh, boy. I, I'm with you there. I got grandkids <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so hard to be away from them, isn't it? It's hard. And the year of the pandemic has been brutally hard. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking forward to going next month. Yeah. Oh, good. Thank goodness for Zoom, and you can see their little faces anyway and interact. Yeah, I love technology. Me too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know where we'd be without technology these days. <laughs> <laughs> no, me either. Well, Beth, it's been such a joy to get to know you. Um, and, you know, we have several things in common that we've already uncovered, and one of which is that both of our companies works with leaders, you know, managers of people, organizational leaders, and tell our listeners why you've worked with leaders and managers for over 15 years now. Um, it's a pretty simple answer. I was promoted up through the ranks in a company that I loved working in. I got promoted to lead the team that I had been part of, really successful team. And every Thursday night, we went out for cocktails to complain about the management and the leaders. And then I got promoted and I went out on Thursday night to look out into the, the office space to find out where we're going for cocktails. And everybody was gone. And uh, it dawned on me that this is a whole new ball game um, for me. So I got promoted because I was really great at what I did. I was really successful in my tasks and duties, but I did not have any training, any awareness, any knowledge about um, how adults are motivated, how their brains work, what inspires them to be really engaged in their work, how to empower them to use their zone of genius and their strengths, and how mm -hmm especially to manage my own emotional reactions and my own emotional behaviors. And so over the course of, of being in that position, which was several years, and the team was highly successful, I began to look more deeply at what authentic leadership is and the well-being of the leader and what healthy communication and conflict looks like. And so I decided when I left that position that that was the work that I wanted to do. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think there's so many of our leaders are going to resonate with that, right? I mean, a lot of leaders had skills, but not the skills they needed for the leadership roles yeah. they ended up in, right? We hear that time and time again. Yep, we do. So you're not alone there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole different ball of wax. Oh, um, it is. 
And people just don't realize that. And we tend to promote the people who do the work really well. That's exactly right. And not only do you need to learn it, you need to relearn it a few times. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and I think that's the same with like relationships and communication too, right? You're not necessarily taught healthy relationships or how to have meaningful dialogue with people. I mean, I don't think there's a, well, I can't say that, but wasn't in my house. <laughs> Let me just say that. I can speak from my own experience. You know, I, I learned that as a part of my growth as a leader, right? So Yes. Yeah. Most of us, um, our communication style is, is significantly impacted by what we've been socialized, you know, what we've observed, what we learned, what worked in our family. And even when we get into relationships, um, when we partner up with someone whose um, childhood and family and communication style that they're used to looks different, it can be really uncomfortable. So I grew up in a family um, where my parents developed and ran a really successful greenhouse and nursery. Mm -hmm. And so it was stressful at a lot of times. And so for them, my mother and father, they could be having a business conflict one minute and my father would be, you know, hugging my mother while she was doing the dishes the next minute. And so I grew up um, not afraid of healthy conflict and trust with people I trust. But a lot of people haven't had that experience. And, and conflict to them looks like, you know, somebody ripping the suitcase off the shelf closet and storming out the door. And so everybody has a different orientation to communication and conflict. And it's really important to get some training, to get some awareness, to understand how you respond to that. Yeah, that, that's a really great point. Uh, tell, tell our listeners what industries you work with, Beth. What types of industries? I, have, I think I've worked in almost everything you can imagine. Um, a lot of our contracts are with government agencies, and government agencies do a variety of different things, environmental agencies, transportation agencies, fiscal agencies. I've also worked, uh, we have clients who, um, a couple of clients that we've worked with that are big wine producers and wineries. We, um, I've worked with case managers and people who run assisted living programs. The um, one of the most interesting that I've ever worked with was uh, a group of zookeepers. And so a lot of the conflicts uh, were about, you know, how to weigh the little tiny birds or, you know, do the chimpanzees like um, cilantro or do they not like cilantro? And why do you keep giving them cilantro when they throw it at us when we leave the the enclosure. And so um, I have I have worked uh, in a full range. I've worked with tech, some of the big names in tech that you would recognize very easily. Um, it's I consider myself a generalist. I know about this much about a lot of kinds of work. So well, <clears throat> that's great. Uh, Tracy, I think you and I should hit the wine producers up next. What well, I knew that was coming. <laughs> They're always open was to trade. Yeah. They always yeah. like well, to trade. I have to say, you're the first person I know that's worked at the zookeepers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how cool. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you know what? We would just want to wish you a big congrats on your newest book, uh, Mastering Thank Feedback. You. Everything you've you've never been told about how to give feedback. 
And uh, so tell our listeners, you know, how this book came about and maybe a little taste of how it helps managers give and receive feedback. Sure. I'm really excited because today it also came out in audiobook form for the first oh, time. Oh, good. So uh, it's available as an audiobook. Um, I'm narrating it, which is, uh, it's great to read your own book. And, you know, it's a funny experience when I listened to the playback, I was like, wow, I don't sound half bad. That's pretty great. <laughs> so, um, so that, that was really fun. Uh, the reason I wrote the book is because in December, right before my birthday, which was December 5th, I coached mm, probably about the 200th leader who needed support to untangle this big, huge, complex problem that wouldn't have gotten to that point had they given feedback immediately, immediately. And when I asked why they didn't want to give that feedback right away, I heard things like, well, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to cause negative morale on the team. Um, I don't know how they're going to uh, react to it. And those are valid concerns, but when people really understand how to normalize feedback in their culture and how to approach it from a fact-based stance with empathy and curiosity and a focus on um, what is the behavior I'm seeing and then what is, what is the behavior or performance that's needed to help the organization fulfill its goals, it's easy to empower people then to, to determine how they're going to fill that gap. Um, so after I had that coaching session on a Thursday, I said to myself, I have got to write this down. And so I spent Friday, Saturday was my birthday. I spent a big part of Saturday because we're going to go in a pandemic and half a day Sunday and the book just flew out of me. Uh, my team had no idea it was coming, and we had a bunch of other priorities. And so on Monday morning when I presented it to them, they were like, but wait a minute, <laughs> where does this fit in the workflow? Uh, they were fabulous and uh, pulled it together. It went to outside readers uh, who gave us feedback from a variety of industries. We incorporated the feedback, and it was published by January 6th, I think. And so for me, the book, um, the book really was um, purposeful and needed. Uh, it was the type of thing that wasn't an effort in, on any level for it to come out. And the response has been phenomenal. So that's great. That's why I wrote it. And that's how it came out. What, what I think the biggest benefit is, is it gives you a four-step process that you can just walk through. Um, to get your feedback really clear and crisp and clean and take the emotion and the fear and the worry out of it. But it also helps you to understand how to normalize feedback in your team and the culture you work in. So when you say, I have some feedback, people aren't, you know, taken back on their heels or resistant or afraid. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's, that's, I think, the biggest benefit to the book. Wow. Well, I read it. <laughs> yeah. I did too. Great. Oh, good. Great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now you you also have a like you have a framework, right? That shapes that those steps. Do you want to say yes. just a few words about that? 
I do. So Navigating Challenging Dialogue is the program that I developed uh, back in, I think, 2010. I always get my dates mixed up. But that's our framework for how we pro approach everything. It's how we do our executive and leadership coaching. It's what how we train teams, organizations, and groups to be able to communicate together and to resolve conflict. It's our methodology for feedback. It's our approach for helping people really build the muscles of empathy and vulnerability that they need to be effective leaders. And what Navigating Challenging Dialogue is about is it's not about manipulating or getting another person to do anything through your communication. What it's about is looking at how do I show up? What energy am I bringing to the table? What unspokens, my thoughts, my fears, my values, what I believe people should do, how is that polluting the clarity and the crispness with which I as a leader need to communicate. It's been particularly valuable during the pandemic as people are talking about um, communicating uncertainty mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because it's a really simple process of talking about the facts. This is what we know. This is what we don't know. This is what we're thinking about, but we're not. We can't discuss it yet. And when you can frame your communication crisply and clearly and non-emotionally, people then can decide what, they're empowered to decide what actions they will take um, around what's being told. But so many leaders have approached the pandemic with the desire to make people happy or take their fear away or reassure them during the uncertainty that the communication has been all mixed up. Right. Yeah. And now we're looking at the workforce even coming back into place. Um, I know in healthcare it's a little bit different. People have been in place, right, through the whole thing. But um, as we're looking at what is it going to look like and how's that going to impact us and everything, leaders really need support with how they communicate those messages. And navigating challenging dialogue is the tool for that. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. All right, we are about halfway through this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we want to take a moment to share that we are very excited about a new program we've released. Let's face it, you and your teams have been through some incredibly stressful times, and it's challenging to know how to support the team and still take care of yourself in the process. We help healthcare leaders become thriving, resilient, and unstoppable leaders. We've recently created a new self-study program titled Caring for Others Without Neglecting You. In this self-study, you will begin to develop polarity intelligence to leverage the tension in your life and create your own personalized strategy for balancing caring for your team and you. Go over to missinglogic.com forward slash new dash events to learn more and enroll today. Well, you know, we have um, we have two frameworks in the work that we do as well with um, leaders and organizations. And both of those include, you know, either a pillar or a, a founding element of polarity intelligence. And um, that includes healthy communication and dialogue. It's really kind of a part of the whole process of polarity intelligence. Now, in your work, you talk about giving and receiving feedback, right? And that actually is a polarity. Um, and, you know, they're both interdependent. 
you have to both give and receive, right? It's a two-way street there. And um, so we actually did a little podcast episode back in May of 2020, just around giving and receiving for healthcare leaders in the midst of the pandemic. And, And what we were asking is kind of know your preference, because, you know, we each have a preference for one pull or the other. It doesn't mean we don't value both. And I would, uh, I would be, you know, probably be true to say that for giving and receiving as well, right? I mean, we know they're both important, but sometimes we tend to lean a little bit more on one side. We're a little bit more comfortable or feel better in one pull more than the other. And, um, and especially during stress and crisis, like you were saying, right? It impacts mm-hmm. your communication and a lot of other things. Um, so, you know, the other thing is we tend to give our attention more to that poll than the other poll when we have a preference. So we can kind of overemphasize one to the neglect of the other. And, um, so when you think about that with the work you've done with managers, what have you noticed about preference polls or where do people tend to spend most of their (laughs) efforts? Mm -hmm. Is there a difference that you notice? Well, there's an interesting theory. Um, you may have heard of it called the power paradox. And in this moment, I can't remember the theorist who came up with that or the author who wrote about it. But it's the um, it's the evidence that has been demonstrated through studies at universities and things that the higher up a leader gets, the more power they get the less open they are to feedback and opinions, the more isolated they become. Um, Their level for empathy, uh, their tolerance for empathy and all of that becomes smaller and smaller as they rise up. And so I think um, one, one exercise or activity that we do with leaders is to have them get feedback from three people. One person they trust implicitly, one person they may have had a conflict or a misunderstanding or disagreement with, or and then one person that they just don't have any idea whether they're, they're trustworthy, a fan, not a fan, and to just sit and experience receiving the feedback. We have a practicing mastering feedback workshop that we do. It's a three-part workshop. And when it comes to that point where people do that activity for homework, the ahas that they get when they come back are unbelievable because it's been so long for so many of them that they've actually asked for and sat present for feedback. So my belief is, my theory is that uh, leader, and my experience is that leaders tend to focus heavily on giving feedback And usually it's part of their um, list of duties or job description or expectations is to give feedback. And they focus heavily on that and they do not focus or spend time experiencing receiving feedback, which is such a valuable process. Mm -hmm. The The other challenge that I have is people reserve feedback for the annual performance review, right? That's the time we give feedback. And uh, when you're only giving feedback once a year or twice a year, much of the, the, the event, whatever type of an event it is, 
turns into kind of an argument around or debate around, well, you know, that was months ago, or I resolved that, or why didn't you tell me at the time that this happened? Why didn't we have the conversation then? Which takes feedback off track from this is the gap. What actions do you believe you'll take to be able to fill the gap? What support do you need to fill the gap? What's your next step to fill the gap? Which is really the point of feedback. Um, and so I would say that leaders lean heavily on giving feedback and spend less time in the receiving feedback. Polarity hmm. piece. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would probably concur with that. I think that just, it, again, it's kind of the nature of organizational work, right? Like you said, as part of their responsibilities. Um, I think what I really enjoyed about your book too is just, it's just that, you know, self-awareness element around this and just the time to reflect on that like you know what has been my experience with receiving or how much have i actually actually sought that out and i think the other thing is just helping people to think about their fears and their beliefs around feedback and what you know what may be inhibiting them <clears throat> or you know inspiring them or motivating them so i i really appreciated that um thank you i read the book as well now there, you know, lastly, there, um, you know, what new trends um, or impacts related to communication and feedback with managers have you seen due to the pandemic? I mean, things have shifted, right? Mm -hmm. We're in this yeah. kind of bubble time. <laughs> and, yes. and much of our work has shifted to be virtual. And I mean, have you seen any patterns or trends in the impact of that on feedback? Yes, I have. So people, leaders seem significant and managers seem significantly more hesitant to give feedback currently because of the stories that they create, that pe people are overwhelmed, people are vulnerable. I don't want to add one more thing. And so there's a hesitancy to speak truth about performance and gaps and ways to use your genius um, at a higher level. And feedback is not always about correction. If you think of feedback, I don't know if you've ever been to an indoor soccer game, but um, my nieces played extensively and they have boards around the field, right? So the ball can't go out, right? It can never go out of bounds. Mm -hmm. It just hits the boards and then, um, and then play begins again. That's the way we need to think of feedback. Your employees, your staff are dealing with so many outside pressures, uncertainty. They're feeling more vulnerable than they've ever felt before, most likely for many people. We don't really know what the next bend in the road is going to look like. One minute we feel like, oh, the vaccine's here. It's fabulous. And then you turn on the news and you see, oh, the next, you know, variant is coming in and things are going to blow up again or everybody's going on spring break and it's going to have an impact. And so um, feedback, when used effectively and appropriately, is just a tool to help people know where the boards are. That's it to help them know that they are engaged 
They're doing the right things. They're on the right path. They're contributing positively to the mission and the goals of your department or organization, be it a hospital or a healthcare agency or a winery or a zoo. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Um, and so I think, I think the trend I see is resistance to feedback, but that's not about what people need. It's about the fears and the stories that managers and leaders are creating in their head that are inaccurate. Mm -hmm. I loved your analogy, Beth. It, I, I, it was fantastic. And, um, you know, Tracy and I, we always walk our talk. That's one of our core values is that we walk our talk. And so um, just always giving each other feedback, you know, touch and base every day. Um, but we also do an after action review every quarter for our business. And we were just talking last week about how that's part of the reason why we do it. It's, it's to learn and to grow and to just always improve. And it's so it's so important to have that continuous feedback, sort of like the soccer boards all the time, but then also when you have to, you know, do something more intentional, like a quarterly review or your, 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 the evaluations you were speaking of. So it's sort of an and in both there as well. Yeah. Yes. And one caveat I want to put that a lot of people don't aren't aware of. If you're giving corrective feedback over and over and over to an employee, you're using the wrong tool. Now it needs to be a performance improvement plan or a sequence of actions or whatever. But if you're one of the people that um, is like, I'm pulling my hair out, I keep giving feedback and this person isn't responding, I would first read my book and see if you're doing feedback correctly. And I would second, secondly consider, is this about feedback or is this about um, corrective performance improvement? planning. Right. And mm -hmm. I, you wonder too, just the word feedback, mm -hmm. you know, like it's got a history to it, right? It feedback. Does. It's got a kind of a negative, like, do you ever think of a different word? Beth? <laughs> I haven't thought of a different word because feedback is the one people um, recognize. And what I want to do is normalize it in right. culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want to, I want to take the, um, the negative energy yeah. out of it. Mm -hmm. so that people are using it in, in what it's intended for. We get feedback every day. I go outside, I have a sweater on, it's too hot, I get feedback, I come in and change. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it doesn't have to have all that connotation that's yeah. Um, attached to it. Yeah, well, and yet I think that's a big part of your work is helping people to let go of what they've been indoctrinated with in regards to their beliefs about feedback, right? Yes, I mean, I think that's yeah. a big, that's a big mm -hmm. part of this. And I think we often say, you know, it's not failure, it's feedback, right? Like it's yes. just, yeah. So I, I, I get you there. Is there anything about how people are providing feedback in this time of the virtual world that you think is going to continue? Like from a process perspective, have you noticed that being virtual? I mean, I know people are hesitant because of their stories, but when it comes to being virtual, you know, um, and giving feedback, is that like an inhibitor? Is it an enhancer? Do people feel like they can do it more easily because they're not with the person? Or, I mean, have you noticed any of those kind of impacts? 
Well, I think I think one challenge is that because we're virtual, people feel like they have an out, so they can text feedback, they can send an email with feedback in it, um, those types of things. And perhaps you can, to some degree, once some trustworthiness is built up, right? Uh, trustworthiness is is critically important, and trust is built one conversation at a time, and one experience at a time. But it's depleted in a much different way. It's depleted. Um, one one conversation can really pull a whole bunch of trust out of the trust relationship. And so I think it should, I think people um, are best served when feedback is uh, a set time. It's done over, you know, whatever Zoom or virtual that you have. So you can see each other face by face, face to face. And it deals with one concept, one issue in a reserved amount of time. It's, it can't be a rush situation. There has to be opportunity to ask questions, um, to have discussions, get clarification. And then the, the final caveat that I'll put on that is understanding that people process information differently. So if you had feedback from me, I'd be ready to have a conversation about it immediately. Right. But um, I have a colleague in my in my uh, business who processes very differently and she needs to go back, think about it, reflect on it and then come back to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so we also have to take that into consideration. I think in these times when people are rushed and stressed and um Email and texting is much more accepted than it would have been when we we're in the office all sitting within a space where you could go into a conference room or go into an office. I think we have to be careful that face-to-face -face is still the best for many conversations, feedback being one of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I wonder, have you done any, have you explored at all, um, the difference for people when it comes to feedback with those that are internally referenced and those that are externally referenced individuals. Help me to understand what you mean by that. Well, I just think there are some people, right, who are more externally referenced. In other words, they look outside of themselves for guidance, decision-making, right? They look to what are others doing. They look for feedback on themselves. They're more open, I think. Internally referenced people go more inside. They make their decisions based okay. on their thoughts, their feelings. And I just wondered um, if you've ever kind of explored that or asked or got a sense of how that shows up in the work environment. I think uh, that's a really interesting question. Uh, I think if I were working with someone who's really internally referenced, uh, as you use that term, I would want to encourage them to get more comfortable asking for feedback and do the feedback activity to be able to get more, to get more comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Which is taking a look at what, how other people are seeing their experience. I think the challenge, one of the challenges with feedback is often the person giving the feedback wants to bring lots of other people to the conversation, but not, not um, literally by using things like everybody feels this way, or some people have told me this when, particularly when working with someone who might be, as you say, internally referenced, 
and um, not that concerned with outside perspectives. The, the challenge is when you do that, you end up taking the focus off the facts of the feedback and putting it on to the inquiry about, well, who said that? Well, when did they say that? What did they mean by that? And so I think, I think your, your job as a leader, if you have someone that you believe or has self-identified as being internally referenced, is to get them more comfortable with understanding that the way they show up, the energy they bring, how they, how they uh, operate, how they perform, truly is impactful on everyone around them, but not do it through the everybody, somebody, other people believe thing. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I was just yeah. curious yeah. to your thoughts mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Well, Beth, this has been a great interview. I was just, kind of, I was kind of deep in thought listening to you now. So I got to like reprogram <laughs> my brain. <laughs> but you know, it's such a delight. One of the things that Trace and I love about doing our podcast is we have people on as guests that we've known for years. Um, and then we have guests like you that we just have recently connected with through similar passions and work. And you always feel like you're just, you know, sitting in the studio talking to someone that's been a friend for a long time. And we really admire the work that you're bringing about communication. Um, as Tracy said, healthy communication is really an important aspect of our work. And it's something that we're always learning and always working on. So we appreciate your examples and um, sharing with our listeners how you've really been bringing it to the world. So thank you for your work and for being here. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great getting to know both of you. I have so much respect for the work that you're doing. So needed. Um, and I'm so appreciative. So thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah. It's been great. How can people find you and get your book and your audio book now? That's great. Yeah. So all people have to do is go to ncdsolution.com. We have a variety of resources on there, including a whole 13 video series that's free for managers or leaders or anybody. Uh, the whole focus is managing remotely. We originally titled it Managing Remotely Doesn't Have to Suck. Um, and it's about all the different components uh, of managing remotely. And that's free and available for anybody. You'll also see the book right on there. It's, uh, it's easy to access. So ncdsolution.com is your gateway to all the resources that we have for folks. Awesome. That's, that's great. Wonderful. We'll put those links in our show notes too, Beth. Great. Thank you yeah. so much. Uh, so thanks so much for an awesome interview. And to our listeners, we will, uh, this wraps up this episode and we will see you next time and stay safe and healthy. Bye. Bye.
Thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. You can find show notes and links at our website, missinglogic.com forward slash new dash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions at the end of the show notes. We'd also love to hear and answer your questions. So if you have some questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com. And we may include your question in a future episode.